program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay! Stop! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Joe Napote, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom, how are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon... They will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. And the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. And welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is... um, Let's see, how do I want to describe him? Playwright and um, founder of uh, a group um, called the Demitas Players and now the author of a new novel called Demitas Divorce. And he joins me by phone. His name is Richard Sorelli. Richard, um, good morning and welcome to the show. Oh, good morning. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for having me. Um, do me a favor, will you? I, you know, I can use it in a sentence, but I'm not sure I really know what demitas means. Okay, it actually just means small cup. <laughs> <laughs> and and how did you end up with demitas players and now a novel called demitas divorce? Oh, well, let's see the. Uh, <clears throat> I started out in 2016, where I formed the troupe, the uh, Demitasse Players, and uh, it was formed to um, write original plays and produce them dealing with mental illness. And uh, over those, uh, since 2016, I uh, turned out four off-Broadway plays and uh, two books, the latest being uh, Demitasse Divorce. And um, is is that a, a theme that runs throughout the plays that you write and the books that you write, this uh, idea of uh, demitas? Well, uh, demitas has a pretty interesting uh, founding. Uh, 
when I got divorced, I, I was consulting and teaching, so I had some time on my hands, and the next thing I know, I'm working as the uh, executive director of an art center up in Poughkeepsie, New York. And uh, I did a pro bono so they could raise money for them. And we used to go out and hang out at this restaurant, uh, no longer in business, called the Demitas. And there was just a lot, a lot of fond memories there. And uh, so I brought that into the title. Uh, but for the book, uh, Demitas Divorce, I thought it worked well because uh, sometimes... Uh, Love could be that small cup we never expected. And now this this book has been described as a steamy romantic novel um, that tells how a chance encounter over coffee led to an inescapable harmonious love affair. Um, how steamy is it, Richard? Well, I, I, think, it's <laughs> <a ma> <laughs> I think it's a matter of uh, definition. It's... Uh, it's really an existential and erotic love story. And uh, what I did is I used, when I wrote the book, you know, there's so many books out there like Fifty Shades of Grey that just really focus on the physical side of it. And in this book, I want to take an existential view and get these two characters and get within their head. Uh, the main character, Elia, is a... Uh, pretty sophisticated architect and an existentialist. So um, I wanted to see and have the uh, readers, since it's written in the first, uh, first person, to see what's really going on in their heads as they encounter this, uh, you know, act of synchronicity where they just meet by chance and uh, it turns into... Uh, a rather torrid love affair, and uh, and it's two very different people. And and this chance encounter is uh, described as being with an alluring hedonist over morning yeah, coffee. And and what I'm not sure I can pronounce the name. Is oh, it uh, Demitas? No, 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 no. The hedonist is it. Aeneas? Sorry? The the person he has the encounter with that Elia meets is it Oh. A, how do you pronounce her name? Oh, Aeneas. Aeneas. Okay. I, I I was having trouble with that. I, I looked at it and I thought of a couple of different <laughs> ways and Most I thought people do. Actually there's a a couple of ways of pronouncing it, but uh NES uh, seems to be the more universal. Well, they find themselves drawn together in a hot and uninhibited affair. And the reason that Elias is, is even available to this is because of um, his marriage, his deteriorating marriage, um, largely brought about by his wife's mental illness am i am i am i reading that right yes correct exactly how much of this book is based on your own experiences because mental health seems to be 
an important element in all of the stories that you tell? Well, I would say the um, overall basis of the story, there's a lot of uh, autobiographical fallacy. So, um, you know, that was really inspiration. And, uh, of course, I took a lot of liberty with it to make the book, uh, you know, more interesting. And, um, you know, to expand on the characters. What made you decide to write a novel as opposed to another play? Well, I, uh, the plays are, you know, fun and very difficult to produce. And I thought the book would um, get people to understand relationships and, and you know, almost like make it a, I want to say teaching tool, but, you know, how people take a look at when they are engaging in a relationship or going after one, that they take an existential view of themselves and really understand what they're getting into. You know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. In the um, in in writing a a novel, it's it's different than writing a play. But I wonder um, when you were writing this this novel, Richard, did you write a um, an an outline or or almost like a screenplay and then flesh it out to become a novel, or did the story kind of tell itself and and unfold? more naturally well, than that. Well, actually, it was two pieces. I was pulling this uh, story together, and, uh, you know, I knew where it was going, where it was going to end. But then I had to, uh, you know, all the <clears throat> action and everything else was more of like a stream of consciousness. I, uh, when I write, I just uh, write like a fiend. I just go to the computer, and all of a sudden... Well, this information just filters in, and I, uh, you know, write it down as quick as I can. I, w- I was going to ask about that. If you, um, if if you're able to write to a schedule, or if you, if you binge write, uh, or or write to a muse. Uh, write to a schedule. I, uh, I attempted it and said, let me just write this and not put a timeline on it so I don't force myself or limit myself. So um, it took me about uh, six months to write the book. You know, somebody asked Stephen King that. Um, It wasn't me. (laughs) It wasn't me, unfortunately, but they said, do you write to a schedule or do you write to a muse? And Stephen King said, always to the muse. Fortunately, the muse shows up every morning at 9 (laughs) o'clock. Great answer. Great answer. Yeah, I th- I thought you'd appreciate that, and, and I share that with a, a lot of writers because everybody has a different way of doing it and a different way of going about it. Yeah, you know, I, I don't really have quote a formula. It's like uh, as most creative, you know, people, you're daydreaming, you have that oh aha moment. I got this great idea for a book. And I think this has some value. There's a, hopefully there's a morality to it. And how do I do it? How do I write it? How do I want to approach it? You know, and 
you know, how much do you want to put in? How long do you want to make it? And uh, and I and I found I think the book was at the right length because uh, you know most people said they could they got into the book and they could read it in uh, one sitting. Oh, that's fun. And and I've I've read books in one sitting, and and usually it was because I just couldn't put it down. Thank you. Uh, a few, a number of people have said that, and uh, you know that's a a good compliment to a writer because it says that he or she could write something that draws in people's attention and interest and want to continue on. Um. How how. How do you manage to cross the paths of existentialism with erotica? Well, I thought uh, if you, I, you know, I, and I created the figures. I created Elia as this very sophisticated, well-educated architect who's an existentialist. He's always examining life. He's very analytical. Uh, but never arrogant. He's actually even a bit self-effacing. And so he has this existential view of life where he's trying to take, you know, as they say in a nutshell, turn your life from existence to essence. And, you know, he finds himself in this situation by accident, and, <clears throat> and he's wrestling over his divorce. And when he meets Aeneas, you know, he's, he's, he doesn't believe in infidelity. And as they're talking, he has the divorce papers in his uh, briefcase. And uh, as he's talking to her, that's when he decides to sign them after procrastinating for about six months. I, I've, I've been trying to come up with a joke, and I'm not sure what it is about an existentialist and a hedonist walk into a motel. <laughs> and and I and I can't seem to come up with the punchline, but but it's an interesting it's an interesting notion, but it also kind of talks about vulnerability because um, Ilya is is definitely in a vulnerable place. Exactly. Well, it's a fascinating story. I want to talk to you some more about uh, your writing process and about this story, um, but I have a break coming up here in a minute or so. Okay. Can you stand by for a few minutes and, and we'll talk some more? Sure can. Great. My guest is uh, playwright Richard Cirilli talking about his new novel, Demitas Divorce. And uh, we're going to talk some more with Richard. But first, we're going to let our broadcast partners uh, squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are WFOV, Our Voices Radio in Flint, uh, 92.1 LPFM. And uh, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Hearing. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. And be sure and tune in tomorrow uh, for Armchair Politics, which we do every Wednesday. Um, author Seth Radwell will be joining our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter for a comprehensive look back at 2021. We'll be right back. 
Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. Hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov 
agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. And the Tom Sumner Program. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue my conversation with playwright and author Richard Sorelli, talking about his uh, new novel, Demitasse Divorce, and he joins me by phone. Richard, uh, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Um, you know, just just before the break, I, I, I made a little joke about the about the book uh, uh, and, and an existentialist and uh, a hedonist walk into a motel. Um, and, and and I was just being sort of lighthearted about that, but with some of the issues in this book, um, is it all pretty serious stuff, or are there some some lighthearted moments in the book? Yeah, well, there are some uh, lighthearted moments in there, um, which you know you throw in because um, you know they're just having this great time, uh, but you know there's this. Um, as you know, there's a lot of underlying subplots. So, uh, in that respect, yeah, there's uh, there's the at the party where Elia seems to get cornered by uh, you know his peers, a number of cavemen who are kind of insulting him. But he's very quick-witted, and he comes back with some pretty funny answers because uh, you know he's not a malicious guy. He's not. Uh, of that nature, so it's um, quick-witted, funny, and uh, and him and Annie has played off together rather well at this uh, party they go to, and I, I think I, you know, that's a pretty humorous, or well, one of the humorous parts of the book. Um, now, part of the part of what led to. Um, Elia's divorce is the fact that his wife was suffering from mental illness. Um, do we find out how she fares in the wake of this divorce and, and this affair? No, she she comes in, and uh, what, what happened with Elia being a, a moralist, he really marries out of out of class and he does it for what he believes the right purpose or the moral purpose so he's also dealing not only with a mental illness but also a culture of uh, or quite a uh, clash of um, class as they would say you know uh, the wife, a uh, very nice person, is uh, you know comes from a very very strong blue collar background, hardworking, and she just can't understand Elia's lifestyle. You know, it's new to her; she's never been exposed to it. 
So that that puts you know another added pressure onto the uh, marriage. Does she, um, as as we explore the relationship between Elia and Anius, um, does she sort of vanish vanish into the into the background, or does she reappear throughout the story? No, she. Um you know, she comes in, she's a walk-in, you know, serves her place. And um, and there's a lot of little storyline there where when Elia meets NES, all of a sudden he starts remembering about all those instances where uh, when he was dating his ex-wife, uh, the things that she put him through. And he's going through this and... You know, she she makes a point. She, uh, you know, they get into a number of really contested arguments where <clears throat> her friends kind of um, start berating Elia for his, uh, you know, his quote soft hands and his, you know, gentleman like ways. And you know, she can't understand why. You know, this, why can't you, you know? Why can't he be a man? Why can't he drive a truck? <laughs> one one of the elements that you use in telling this story uh, is is well the use of flashbacks um how and why did you decide to use flashbacks in telling this story well i thought it would be good into um defining elias character how he matured what he encountered in life and how it pretty much shaped his morality, basically a morality that didn't serve him well. And you're sort of painting a picture of him as as maybe not being a, um, a strong person, a strong character, you say he has morality and and he's creative, um, but but yet you know his 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 future ex-wife in this story um, is concerned that 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 he's not man enough. Yeah, well, uh, Elia is a very strong-willed person, but you know he doesn't follow typical convention. In circumstances, so he, uh, you know, I guess it'd be best to say he holds the high ground. You know, when he's confronted with these things, he's like, "Well, I, I can't lower myself to that standard." So, you know, he does hold the high ground, and you know, many times that's seen as a weakness, but you know, it's actually a strength. But that's why I wanted to explore that a little bit, because when you make, you know, a, a reference here and a reference there, it starts making him sound like like kind of a weak person. Yeah, he's um, very focused, strong-willed, um, you know, very polished. So, uh, especially at the end of the book where he uh, has that uh, little physical encounter, how he handles it. And, um, you know, it's something most people wouldn't handle that way, but he holds the ground at his own expense. He, he just won't, you know, um, as he would say, uh, his defense is an attack 
on his own principles. Is is he um, successful professionally as an architect? Oh, quite successful. He has his own practice. He uh, he's doing quite well, and uh, he's actually uh, donating a lot of his fees to uh, build a uh, design a. Uh, uh, in addition, on a mental hospital, a behavioral center. So, uh, you know, he has the funds to uh, carry that through. And so this is like one of his missions in life as well as to, uh, you know, advocate for uh, mental health. You know, a lot of books, um, when they're published, they have a, a, a title, as this does, uh, demitasse divorce but then there's a subtitle and and in lieu of a subtitle there's there's this uh question on the cover of the book below the <laughs> title it says is love a cruel game we call happiness that uh, you know where a lot of subtitles further explain the subject of the book this seems to raise more questions than it answers richard <laughs> Yeah, I had fun with that because, you know, when we look at relationships, you know, we find that uh, sometimes it is a cruel game we call happiness. You know, we're in this relationship and uh, then all of a sudden you have these existential brain viruses and, uh, and then you're looking at this and saying, yeah, you know, I should be happy. I mean, you know, I got this really really attractive girlfriend and all these different things but you know something's just not right you know so I, I guess we have to accept it for what it is you know uh, you know he's saying that uh, you know relationships are never perfect so uh, you know you have to take the good with the bad I guess um, Richard tell me a little bit more about the uh demitasse players and and who all is part of that and and how often do you uh, do you do all original works and and where do you do them how often do you perform okay yeah all our plays are original and each one deals with a, a different topic of mental illness uh my first play via della rosa was actually loosely based around my mother who um, suffered miserably with mental illness all her life. And uh, it showed how the destructive it was not only for herself, but for people around her. And, um, and how she berates and attacks her oldest son uh, because she really, at, at the time, you know, this is, it occurs in the 60s, so there was mental illness isn't where it is today, but she had diagnosed, uh, undiagnosed uh, Munchausen's by proxy disorder. So, you know, basically she would single out one child and uh, just met out a lot of damage and insult. And so how often um, do, uh, where and how often are these plays performed? Well, we've actually did uh, one one original play for uh, four years in a row, and it, we were very fortunate. They were uh, we performed them at the uh, 
White Plains Performing Arts Center in White Plains, New York, which is uh, technically a off-Broadway theater. And and now you've done this one play for four years. Are there are there other plays? And and who do you do most of the writing? Are there other writers in the cast? No, I, I do uh, all the writing, and uh, we actually turned out uh, four plays. One is uh, Via Della Rosa, then we followed it up with Wanderlei, uh, then A Lonely Summit, and uh, finally Thoughts for a Lost Friend. So it was a very productive, uh, very aggressive, uh, you know, five years. When you do um, a, a run of a play like that, um, h- how long does it run? Well, on these, uh, you know, we, you know, this falls under exper- experimental plays, and uh, it's for a very limited audience. I mean, we get good attendance, but it usually plays, uh, both of them just play for one night at a special event, which is a charity or a fundraiser for mental illness. And um, and and who who all performs? How long does it take to prepare for that one night? Oh, very long. Is I it mean, the usual, you know, cramming for six weeks with uh, rehearsals and dress rehearsals and all that? Yeah, I'm not big on, on cramming because, you know, when you're, you know, basically a community theater. You know, it's, you know, people are performing, some very, very talented actors are performing pro bono. And uh, so, you know, they have, you know, the day job. So I really stretch out the uh, rehearsals over a longer period of time uh, so we don't have to cram and, uh, you know, be forced into, uh, you know, I I think it's pressure that's uh, too much for the actors as well as myself to uh, just uh, put on such an aggressive date. Well, this is fascinating. Um, but getting getting back to the uh, to the book, um, when did the book come out? Uh, the book came out in uh, 2021. And it, it's um, have you had a chance to get a lot of feedback from it? What are you hearing from people? What are they? What do you hope they're taking away from the book, and what are they taking away from the book? Well, it's uh, the book's available at uh, Amazon and uh, Barnes and Noble. We did get some very, very good reviews, and um, what I'm hoping is when people take a, a look at romance, and that they take a look at it from a a bit of an existential point of view. So when they put the book down. They said to themselves, I, I think I learned something here. I learned something about myself, and, uh, and I think this could help me in future relationships. What's, what's next for you? <laughs> I think a little rest. <laughs> <laughs> no, are, are you... Are you doing a lot of interviews? Are you doing book signings and, and interacting with people and promoting the book? And is there another book in, in the works? I mean, now that you've written a novel, would you want to do it again? 
Well, yeah, I'm doing a lot of, uh, you know, PR work, a lot of radio shows and and podcasts. So, you know, that's been taking a lot of time. And it's and it's been a lot of fun. Uh, as far as my next project, uh, actually earlier this year, I uh, did my first independent movie. And, uh, you know, my... Uh, the members of the troops at Rich are always writing this deep, deep, interesting stuff, they says, but in your private life, you're a really funny guy. And why don't you just take a break and, and write a comedy? So I did a uh, short comedy called uh, An Existential Date. <laughs> I, I like it just from the title, Richard. Uh, thank you. And, and it's really about these uh, two aging college professors, uh, you know, uh, male and female, and they meet online at this existential dating uh, website. And they meet for the first time at the, uh, you know, college college pub. And, uh, you know, and they're, you know, very, very stereotypical stuffy, you know, existential philosophers. But as they get together and they start talking and they started talking about the uh, some existential, I, I didn't go heavy on it. I, I mean, uh, they actually start getting turned on with it. And uh, the fellow's playing a good muse, you know. He's playing it up very well. And the uh, woman's getting quite excited, you know. And she says, uh, you know, existentialism is my favorite aphrodisiac. <laughs> so uh, we had a lot That's of fun funny. with it. And, uh, and uh, you know, we haven't released it yet. I am just probably won't release it until sometime next year. Well, I hope when you do, you'll uh, keep me in the loop and let me know. And perhaps you'll come back and we can talk about that. Oh, uh, I'd love to. Richard Cirelli is my guest. The name of the book is uh, Demitas Divorce. And um, Richard, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? Uh, yes, I do. It's uh, com. And that's spelled D-E-M-I-T-A-S-S-E. And there's pretty much a, a full listing. I wouldn't say the full body of work, but there's a lot of short stories, poetry, and music, and, um, and a compilation of all the, uh, of all the, you know, the uh, stories I put together, folk tales and things like that nature. So I guess it gives a good overview and blend of of the uh certainly my mindset well richard thank you so much for spending this time with me and the listeners this morning and keep up the good work well thank you so much i really appreciate uh, the time uh tom it was an honor and a pleasure and i would just like to wish everyone a, a very happy health and safety demitas holiday well and and back at you richard take care Bye-bye. Thank you so much, and thank you for this opportunity. And with that, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead.
Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places. So be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to AmericanSchismBook.com.
MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas Just like the ones I used to know Where the treetops are glistening and children listen to Sleigh bells in the snow Well, I, I, I am dreaming of a white Christmas With every Christmas card I write May your days be merry and Your Christmas is but a while. Well, I am dreaming of a white Christmas with every Christmas card I read. With the treetops, they glisten and children listen to hear. And may all your Christmases be
on that rooftop. You ain't got no ID. Well, you're gonna have to come along with me. Christmas is sure to fail. Santa is stuck in jail. Miss Claus freak and the elves are on the street. Trying to raise money for bail. Christmas is sure to fail. If we can't get Santa out of jail. So they took him to the judge in the middle of the night. And the judge said, yeah, I think you're nuts, all right. But I'll give you one chance to prove me wrong. Make me believe you're the real Santa Claus. And if you can do that right, well, I'll let you sleep it off at home tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Santa hunkered down low. And he put his finger on the side of his nose. And he started humming Christmas carols real low. He said, When you were five years old, your name was Greg. You left me milk and cookies and a note that said, Dear Santa, all I really want is a puppy. I love him forever and I'll name him Buddy. And so you did for 15 years. Till Buddy passed away and you cried many tears. And you lost your faith like so many do. But I got a little something to tell you that's true. The love you give never really goes away. And it all comes back on Christmas Day. So here's a little something that I want to give to you. And Santa handed him a puppy named Buddy Jr.
That wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. I want to thank all of the guests that were on today, uh, this last hour, with playwright um, Richard Sorelli, author of the new novel Demi Task Divorce. And uh, we started the show off. Well, I, I don't want to forget Ada Fair, who was uh, talking about her book Cuba and American History. And uh, we started the show off looking back at uh, 2021 with the um, editor of the World Almanac and Book of Facts 2022, Sarah Jansen. And tomorrow, we're going to take a deep dive on 2021 on Armchair Politics. In the meantime, good night, everybody. The program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.